minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shabbat Shalom. 
bit sad song, a little bit happy both. The Kovitz is Shabbos. 
Give me a harmony, friends. Give me a harmony. Hold on to the last note. Can you imagine? Can you visualize? Can you think about? But 2,400 years ago, somewhere on a street corner in the holy city Yerushalayim, and maybe, maybe, maybe it was on Matzohe Shabbos. Came down somewhere, somewhere from the Harabayim. You know, sweetest friends, let me tell you, according to our tradition, everybody knows that they have Torah, the portion of the prophet we read, after a certain portion of the Torah. That means that the prophet prophesied this. On that Motsoi Shabbos Of the portion of that we hear We start getting involved in the depths of it right now So Shabbos was Hanan 2,400 to 500 years ago Yushaya Novi Listened to the Pasha was Hanan And he came down to the streets And he prophesied and he said Nachamu, Nachamu, Amin Yomar, Elokefem Nachamu, Nachamu, Amin Yomar, Elokefem Give me a
immer mit Freunden. Das nach und nach mit Ami. Console my people. Don't ever stop consoling them. And then it says, Dabru alev Yerushalayim. Speak into the heart of Yerushalayim and call unto her. You know, sweetest friends, sometimes a person is so desperate for consolation. Sometimes a person is so desperate for one good word that when you want to give it to them, they run away. Can you imagine Mashiach walking right now? Most of us would just run through the window. Couldn't believe it. I want it so much, I can't believe it. Can't believe it. So he says, Dabu, When she runs away, don't stop. Run after her. Keep on crying loud. It's true, it's true. Again, I know it's so true. Sometimes you want to talk to your children, they're crying. They run away. Because they're waiting for Mashiach so desperately. Give me how many one more time. In the AM, yes, even this time of year, Nachamu Nachamu Ami seems appropriate. The great Rishlomo Kalbach, of course, as we approach the uh, Kalbach 20th yard side, many, many, many Kalbach Shabbatot taking place, many, many Kalbach Tfilot, or Kalbach style Tfilot, I should say, taking place uh, tonight, tomorrow, and so many different places around the world. Uh, welcome to a Friday. It's November 7th, the 14th day in the month of Maracheshvan. Tomorrow night, Starts the yard site, the 20th yard site of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. And um, we are going to feature, beginning at 6 p.m. tomorrow night, right after Shabbos, we're going to feature the 24 hours of Kalbach. Literally, uh, you could turn on jmnam.org. You could turn on the NSN app. You could call in by phone on the listen line at 401-347-0100. And you can just listen and listen and listen to our amazing presentation of great Rav Shlomo Kalbach Nigunim. 
Uh, 24 hours of Kalbach starts at 6 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow night. You heard Nachamu, you heard Lachun Aranana and that amazing set from uh, the Friday night davening, M- many of whom, uh, I should say, uh, many synagogues will be featuring that davening tonight. Av Harachamim v'shavu vanim. And, of course, we opened with Regesh and Moda'ani here on a Friday Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayera with candle lighting at 425 on this Erev Shabbos. We are on standard time. 425 is candle lighting. That's pretty early. Make sure you know when, uh, <laughs> I was about to say, make sure you know when things start where you are. <laughs> That's what we say during the summer. We know when things start. They start at 425 today. Make sure you're where you need to be before that time. You, uh, Jerusalem has a candle lighting time of, um, I said it was 405. Uh, Rabbi Yigal in Jerusalem told me it was 409. So it's somewhere around there. Just keep in mind that if you want to speak to anybody in the holy city of Jerusalem before Shabbos, you got to do so. Um, before 9 o'clock this morning, basically, in the Eastern Time Zone. And again, the 24 hours of Kalbach tomorrow night, starting at 6 p.m. on the stream at jmtheam.org. Make sure to be tuned in. And uh, you have an opportunity to uh, listen to just a great array. And by the way, uh, Avrami tomorrow night is going to um, be featuring Shlomo Kalbach music in the uh, in the Saturday Night Seagull show. Matis Sunday morning, JM Sunday will be featuring Shlomo Kalbach music. So everybody's in on this amazing project. It should be a really nice commemoration of the 20th yard site of Rib Shlomo. 47 degrees outside with 82% humidity winds in north at 3 miles per hour, mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 52. Then tonight, clear skies, a low 34. Wow, chilly tonight. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, a high temperature. 51 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 77, Tel Aviv at 79, Haifa at 75, and a lot at 88 degrees. We're at 47 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. 23 minutes before 7 o'clock on this Friday broadcast as we continue with the music of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. Normally, before we invented the, uh, before we invented the whole internet concept, <laughs> um, so Friday before the Kalbach yard site would be completely Rabbi Shlomo music. And, um, obviously, it was, if his yard site was on a weekday, then for sure it would be. Uh, wasn't quite sure what to do with today. Thought it would be a mix of the two. But I'm leaning toward more and more Shlomo Kalbach Nigunim this morning, uh, because, um, it's the 20th yard site. So, why not? Now, the difference is that, uh, normally on the yard site itself, we only play Rib Shlomo Kalbach music. Uh, today we'll play some of his Nigunim, uh, sung by others as well. Uh, to make it a bit different, including this one, a Shabbos selection rec- uh, published and recorded for the first time by Shlomo Katz on his brand new Likrat Shabbat. The composer is Rip Shlomo Kalbach. Here it is brand new for you at JM in the AM. Ki 
רגע, רגע, חבר'ה. מדוע אתם שותקים? מדוע אתם שותקים, רבותיי? מה אתם מחכים?
The great Shlomo Kalbach, of course. There he is as we approach his 20th yard site. 24 hours of Kalbach begins tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern time on our stream at jmnam.org, all the way through Sunday night at 6 p.m. That's a Hisna'ari. Before, before that, Uvoha Ovdim and Vahashev Koanim. Kol Mikadesh, and of course, Shlomo Katz had the Likrat Shabbat, which is a uh, the title track of Shlomo Katz's brand new CD, written by Rup Shlomo Kalbach, but until now, uh, it was never recorded. Friday morning on this JM in the AM, Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayero with candle lighting at 425, 47 degrees, mostly cloudy, a high temperature of 52. The only Republican member of the United States Congress in the brand new Congress that takes over in January, Lee Zeldin, is going to join us coming up here at JM in the AM. He is a, uh, he's a Republican member of the New York State Senate. He won the election on Tuesday for U.S., uh, House of Representatives, 1st District on Long Island in New York State, and we'll speak with him coming up. He'll be the only Republican Jewish member of the United States Congress uh, when 2015 gets underway and the brand-new Congress is installed. Uh, so he'll be coming up about 725 this morning. Malcolm Honline, our weekly update coming up. Rabbi Yudin, of course, with words about this week's Parsha. Naomi Nachman at 9 a.m., with a fresh edition of Table for Two, it's all happening. Keep it at America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Shlomo Kalbach music. And Matis hosts JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time this coming Sunday morning. And that'll be a, also... Dedicated to Shlomo Kalbach and his incredible music. So we've got 24 hours of Kalbach beginning after Shabbos on our stream at jmnam.org. Use the NSN app. Use the listen line at 401-347-0100. And, of course, uh, listen on your computer as well, jmnam.org. Galit Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next to jmnam. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. הרב הראשי לישראל יצחק יוסף קורא ליהודים להפסיק לעלות להר הבית על מנת למנוע שפיכות דמים. כאן המקום לעורר את הציבור היקר, להפסיק את ההסתה הזו, מכאן תצא הקריאה שאסור לכל יהודי לעלות להר הבית, מכאן תצא הקריאה להפסיק את הדבר הזה, יפסיק לשפך דם של עם ישראל. את הדברים אמר הרב בהלווייתו של אהרון שלום בעדני, ההרוג השני בפיגוע הדריסה בירושלים שנפטר הבוקר מפצעיו. יושב ראש הבית היהודי, השר נפתלי בנט, הגיב על דברי הרב הראשי. כתבנו אורי אלקיים. בדף הפייסבוק שלו פנה בנט אל הראשון לציון הרב יצחק יוסף ואמר לא כבוד הרב הראשי, דם יהודי נשפך כי הערבים רצחו אותם. עליית היהודים להר הבית זוכה לביקורת במיוחד מצד החרדים שטוענים כי מדובר באיסור חמור שעונשו מיטה בידי שמיים. בציונות הדתית לעומת זאת יש רבנים המקלים ומאפשרים עלייה למקומות מסוימים בהר. מוקדם יותר האשים ראש הממשלה בנימין נתניהו את אבו מאזן בהתססת האלימות בהר הבית. The fact that uh, Islamist parties, uh, including uh, Abu Mazen, have joined in a campaign of inflammation calling for any action, including violent action, to stop Jews from exercising their right to merely enter the mount. This is an arrangement that has been there for many decades since the uh, Six-Day War. 
אנו עוקבים בדאגה גוברת אחר העובדה שגורמים אסלאמיים, כולל אבו מאזן, התאחדו במסע תעמולה הקורא לכל פעולה, כולל פעולות אלימות, כדי לעצור יהודים מלממש את זכותם לעלות להר הבית. זכות שקיימת כבר עשרות שנים מאז מלחמת ששת הימים. דברי נתניהו בפגישה עם שרת החוץ של האיחוד האירופי, פדריקה מוגריני, שקראה להפיג את המתיחות האזורית. The situation has been more dangerous in this area, but this could also bring some opportunities in terms of regional framework. המצב מעולם לא היה מסוכן יותר מעכשיו באזור הזה, אבל המצב הזה יכול גם להביא להזדמנויות אזוריות חדשות. דברי שרת החוץ של האיחוד מהם הביא כתבנו שמואל מוניץ. נמשכות הפרות הסדר בירושלים. במחנה הפליטים שועפאט בצפון העיר הבעירו צעירים צמיגים ופחי אשפה ומיידים אבנים לעבר לוחמי מג"ב שהם מטפלים בהפרות הסדר תוך שימוש באמצעים לפיזור הפגנות. מסר כתבנו יותם ברגר. תחזית מזג האוויר, עלייה בטמפרטורות, השירות המטאורולוגי מזהיר כי יש היתכנות גבוהה לשרפות בצפון, בהרי המרכז, בשפלה ובצפון הנגב עד לשעה שש בערב. לידיעת הנוסעים, תוקנה התקלה ברכבת ישראל ותנועת הרכבות בין בית שמש לירושלים חזרה לתנועה סדירה. אלה החדשות שעורכת טלי חזקאלי בצוות חן רביב ונועם נויפלד. התוכנית בחסות anymore let me just tell you maybe some of you know it there's a Yiddler came to the Holy Land and he fought in 1948 in 56 and he had two sons two holy holy sons 1967 one son left this world sanctify God's name the name of the Holy Land and now on Yom Kippur second son joined his father Abraham in heaven and I heard the story from the person who has to tell the parents when God forbid the children die he said they just didn't have the strength anymore they're driving around the block five times and how can you tell them But regardless, finally they made themselves strong. They walked up. And they told him, We're so sorry to tell you, your last son is also gone. You know what he did? God gave him so much strength from heaven. He took a little bit of wine. He said, L'chaim, my holy son. L'chaim, I envy you. You gave your life for the holy land. He said, L'chaim to his wife. L'chaim, L'chaim. 
You were privileged to have two holy sons who gave their life for the holy land. Hashem, Oz, Pleamo. Hashem Yevarech et Amo Vashalom Asher Vemoz Veyamo Posted on Facebook, I wrote five significant recordings of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. I didn't want anyone to think I was doing it in, uh, I don't know, you know, favorite order or, you know, that I was declaring my own top five or top ten. But I think people interpreted it that way. In the number one slot of the five, I put Amisrael Chai. But five is the last of the five that I mentioned. So a lot of people think that that's the best one because I saved it for last <laughs> in that position in number five of my five significant recordings of Rav Shlomo Kalbach is, in fact, Hashemos. I wrote the quintessential, if you had four minutes to explain to someone who Shlomo Kalbach was, track. The combo of story, song, and message says it all. And sure enough, that is an incredible piece. Hashemos here with Rav Shlomo Kalbach. As we approach his 20th yard site, many Kalbach Shabbatot going on around the world, many concerts, many uh, Kalbach davenings, if you will, tonight in so many different places. In fact, someone commented on the app. Someone commented on our app about the uh, 
Oh, I thought it was on our app. Maybe it was somewhere else. Oh, it was actually on that Facebook post. Someone commented, listener Daniel said, the whole, that I guess meaning his favorite is the whole of Kabbalat Shabbat that is sung in so many places around the Jewish world today. No question about it. That is one of the most amazing parts of the Kalbach Shabbos. Lee Zeldin's going to join us. He'll be the only Jewish Republican in the United States Congress uh, next time around in January. He won the first district race in New York State. We'll speak to him coming up. Uh, Michael Fragan, by the way, unbelievable job last night. Unbelievable post-election analysis. Spin class is always good and interesting. Uh, Michael does it at 6 o'clock on our stream every Thursday night. But election time, it is just spectacular. <laughs> and uh, I didn't get a chance to call in last night as I originally threatened I would. But I'm going to try to become a guest on that show in the next week or two. I have things about the midterm elections that I want to say. <laughs> and hopefully hopefully Michael will let me join him at some point. Uh, Malcolm Holmline, 740 in the morning today. Malcolm Holmline, a half hour from now as we uh, explore the events of this week during the weekly update. Or my union, of course, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Naomi Nachman is on today starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Time with the Table for Two. She always has an amazing program, a very popular one, I'll tell you that much. She'll be at Kosher Fest this coming week, yeah. She is representing the Nahum Siegel Network at Kosher Fest this week. I think it starts Tuesday, right? This week on Table for Two, meaning at 9 o'clock today, it's her men's lineup of amazing chefs, kitchen surfing kosher director Yudi Schluss, uh, Yuda Schluss, along with one of his super talented chefs, Eric Bolyard, and restaurateur Avi Roth, who owns Gotham Burger. They're all going to be with Naomi uh, today between 9 and 10 o'clock Eastern time. And then we present an amazing Erev Shabbos music mix that happens uh, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in for that. A big thank you to our friends at Kedem. And uh, tomorrow night, of course, so we'll kick things off at 6 p.m. with 24 hours of Kalbach here at the Nahum Siegel Network on jmandtheam.org. Listen through your laptop or computer. Listen with the NSN app. Make sure to install it, iPhone and Android, NSN, uh, Nahum Siegel Network app. And listen on our listen line, uh, 401-347-0100, 401-347-0100.
Great selections off the brand new Shlomo Katz CD, previously unpublished of Shlomo Kalbach Nigunim that he recorded. CD is entitled Likrat Shabbat, and uh, it's brand new here at JM in the AM. Kalbach Yard Site starts tomorrow night. 24 hours of Kalbach starts at 6 p.m. tomorrow night through 6 p.m. Sunday on our stream at jmintheam.org. Make sure to be tuned in as we have a uh, an amazing 24-hour retrospective on the uh, incredible music of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. That'll go continuously starting at 6 p.m. tomorrow night. Lee Zeldin uh, was scheduled to join us a few minutes ago. He is going to be the only uh, Jewish Republican in the next United States Congress. He uh, won the election in the 1st District of the United States House uh, on Long Island this uh, past Tuesday, and he was scheduled to join us a few minutes ago. Uh, but we're having trouble... Uh, we're having trouble connecting with him, with the New York State Senator, who's about to be a uh, United States Congressman. So hopefully, if he joins us in the next few minutes, we'll get him on the air. If not, we'll have to uh, ask him to join us at a future time. Malcolm Holmline is coming up. We'll do the weekly update and analyze some of the events of this week. Lots of things going on in the news, that's for sure. Mostly cloudy with a high temperature of 52. 28 minutes before 8 o'clock. Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock on our stream at jmnam.org with the latest edition of Table for Two. She'll be coming up with that. Um, all weekend, including Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami on our stream. And Matis uh, Sunday morning, starting at the 7 a.m. on JM Sunday. Uh, all weekend, until 6 p.m. Sunday night, you'll be hearing great Ripshol McCallbach music, including in our regular scheduled programming. Uh, which Avrami and Matis are going to be hosting this week as usual. They'll include music of Shlomo Kalbach, like this one at JM in the AM. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Shlomo Kalbach. <laughs> Adir 
divne beto becaro join me adero Amen, oh, 
The amazing Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. 24 hours of Kalbach begins tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream, all the way until Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. 24 hours of Kalbach commemorating the 20th yard site of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. Enjoy all the Kalbach services tonight, the Kalbach Shabbatot and concerts that will take place tomorrow and tomorrow night. Lots going on around the world to commemorate the art site and to uh, acknowledge the incredible inspiration that he gave so many and continues to give so many around the world. JMNAM Friday on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayera. Candle lighting at 425. Be careful. Very early. Candle lighting at 425. Malcolm Honline is with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Friday mornings. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always good to be with you on Friday morning. I appreciate that, uh, especially when we were playing Shlomo Kalbach. Um, so the um, we know about the attacks, Jerusalem, Gush Etzion, etc., this week in Israel. The the Gush Etzion uh, attack, where three soldiers are mowed down by a, a motorist, is that being considered a car accident or a terrorist attack? Well, it's under review. They originally it was described as a terrorist attack, and uh, then they revised it uh and said that it could have been just a traffic accident. And the fact that he turned himself in and explained things to police, they are now leaning in that direction. They're leaning in that direction, right. Malcolm, this is a new category of terror attacks. According to what I saw in this morning's Hamodia, it actually, or maybe it was yesterday's, it actually has a name. It's called Das, the Arabic word for runover. Just like intifada and other Arabic words have sneaked into the regular vernacular, now this could become a, 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 a reference to a regular type of attack on Israelis. Well, we did see the other attacks at the railroads, and the um, we don't know what other attempted incidents. There were some others reported. So that the, the, the and they label it, and you're right. By labeling it, it tells you that that this is not just haphazard incidents. There are, uh, you know, of course, we know that Qatari money goes into behind some of these activities. We know that the PA has been involved in, in extensive incitement in every one of their media, and including by President uh, Abbas, uh, who called for essentially called for the violence on the Temple Mount, and every they know very well that there's no more sensitive button to push than to say Al-Aqsa is under siege, uh, what they call Haram al-Sharif, all of a sudden now that has equal billing um, uh, from American officials and others with the, the Temple Mountain, uh, that they uh, know that they'll evoke a reaction. And young people who were asked why they were going there said, well, we were told that, the, that, the, uh, that the, they were burning down Al-Aqsa. There was a fire at Al-Aqsa, but it was caused by the fireworks which were stored there. And this is another new dimension that's been added to Nahum, that is, uh, you know, beyond rocks and and uh, pipes and other things that they use uh, in, in the violence. Now they've taken firecrackers and they shoot them, uh, fireworks, not just firecrackers, and shoot them at the police, which can hurt, they burn, they... Uh, can do uh, they do physical damage as well, and they had big stockpiles of them in the mosque, along with stones, along with uh, other things. Well, so can't, the, can't go confiscated. It might, you know, it, it might rile up the crowd. You know what I mean? When, and what would they do for Fourth of July? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so the, the I think what you're pointing to is 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 very important. That this is not spontaneous in, for the most part. There may be times that were. This is not youth. Many of those are arrested with 30s and 40s. 
uh, even older. They were, uh, and the youth who were involved were often paid to carry out these attacks. As you know, the police, the Israeli police, will be very mild in their reaction to them. Yeah. And we've got to see the real crackdown, as we've called for for a long time, and meaning that parents have to be held to account, have to pay fines, have to even face jail sentences. Yeah, the Prime Minister is talking about family responsibility and all that. But And I want to talk more about Harabayat, especially for those of us concerned about the unity of the Jewish people, especially uh, you know in the aftermath of the war this summer and everyone being under the impression that we could really stay unified and all that. And we'll get to all of that. But I'm And I know I've asked similar questions in past weeks. How do you... How do we, as average people, see this incitement as being any different than it has been? In other words, now for some reason, Mahmoud Abbas and Bennett, by the way, had an amazing, I thought a great quote this week. Uh, I mean, I'll paraphrase the quote, but he essentially said that this terrorist in Yerushalayim was a messenger of Abbas. That that's how they view it at this point, because the incitement is so blatant. Why is it any different in November of 2014 than it was years ago how would how would you or anybody who follows the the media reports um detect that there's you know a much stronger rhetoric coming out from people like abbas or the incitement is so much worse than it was months or years ago well it's not worse than it was before the intifada and and nobody said this is the worst that we've ever seen it but i think the reaction to it is is number one that it's coming from him you know who's supposed to be the president and the world is saying that israel should negotiate with at a time when Europeans and others, almost daily we hear of another country considering a resolution or an action to recognize, even if not legally, a Palestinian state at a time when they're threatening to go to the Security Council and and trying to enlist international support for that measure, that they at the same time are engaging these kind of activities when you see the extensiveness and the amount of investment in this effort, that it's not spontaneous, that it's not a reaction to something Israel did, but it is a, a uh, an organized effort targeting Jerusalem and, and, and saying, uh, Abbas himself saying that we have no history. On right, but was he saying less uh, statements of incitement a year ago? Was his level or volume of incitement statements less months or years ago? I think the context was somewhat different, but, I mean, this, this has been a steady diet. I do think that, that he... His comments personally have been more, are more intensive. He often had other people say the things for him. But uh, if your point is, has this happened in the past? The answer is yes. And is, is, the, is the alignment with Hamas at all responsible for this, or that's just a convenient excuse? Like, no. is, there, is there an influence now from the even more radical wing of the PA? No, because I don't think he's cooperating or working with them. I think that that, you know, this, that was all a legal fiction. I think that he, in fact, is motivated by Hamas, yes, but not because they're behind it, but because he's competing with them, and he thinks this gives him legitimacy, and, you know, in the, quote, street, by uh, being out there out front and inciting against Israel, and that, you know, of course, um, is to give the appearance of leadership when, in fact, it's anything but that. So today on Harabayat, today's Friday, on Harabayat, on the Temple Mount, have things been relatively quiet? Is today a regular day, so to speak? I, I, I haven't seen any reports indicating that anything happened there yet. But it, it, And I must say the Israeli police have been acting with great restraint and great care. But um, one of the things that really grew out of this, and that, and that will be the, the test is King Abdallah, who, as you know, Jordan was given certain rights in, uh, at the, uh, over the Temple Mount that he gave him uh, Harabayas. 
that uh, Netanyahu assured him that nothing is going to change there. And that Jews won't pray there. He has special status uh, regarding Jerusalem. Did he recall his ambassador because of this? Yes. Isn't that, for, for somebody who's trying to, you know, continue the cooperation with Israel and the Prime Minister graciously gives in or agrees to continue things the way they are, isn't that a pretty radical move? It's an extreme move, and I'm not sure why he would do it, because, as you know, he and, and the Prime Minister have been working very closely together. Uh, I would say, to a large degree, his security is uh, rests within the cooperation with Israel. They have a lot of common enemies, you know, and these days. They, ha- they have many common enemies, which is why this extreme measure, it's expressing displeasure or concern or asserting his right, because, you know, there's competition between... The Saudis, Moroccans, the Jordanians over Temple Mount because that, you know, they, they all assert themselves as the Senate of Muhammad to be having the right to, to control or to, to be responsible for. And uh, when it came to repairs and stuff, the government of Jordan did do, uh, pay for part of it or, or large parts of it. Uh, so it, it has a lot of entanglements. There are a lot of different facets to this as to why the king would do it. I think it, it is an overreaction and this displaces the real responsibility, which is on the PA and the Hamas and the, Hamas and the people, the local leadership, and say that all of a sudden Israel, which is only reacting to this terror, and I will say acted with, I believe, sometimes too much restraint uh-huh. when this was going on at the Harazasim, which we talked about, that when the violence was on the Mount of Olives weeks ago, and, and we communicated a message, if you don't stop it there, it's just going to grow. We're going to yeah. invite the expansion, because if, if they think they get away with it and they test it, then they're going to continue to expand it. And sure enough, along the right, the railroad, first the rock, the stones, and then it gets cars, and then we saw escalation of violence with physical assaults, and then, unfortunately, these lethal attacks. So with all this cooperation regarding the Temple Mount being out there and that being the backdrop for this whole discussion, at the same time, you certainly, and hopefully other people who are listening, understand the importance politically of Jews maintaining their right and whatever rights they've been given and their historic uh, presence on Harabayat, on the Temple Mount. And by the way, this week's Parsha, very, very telling, right? A very, very good time to discuss this. And, and uh, Rav Yitzchak Yosef at the funeral, and I don't think this was a halachic statement, I think it was more a political statement, said Jews should stop going to the Temple Mount because it leads to murder, and obviously what he meant is if you go to the Temple Mount, you continue to incite the Arabs. Shouldn't it politically, we're not in a halachic discussion here, Malcolm, politically, isn't it exactly the opposite? Wouldn't you like to see that within the proper political parameters, Jews continue to go and show the world that, in fact, historically and for today, the Temple Mount is vital to us? If you don't go and you, you abandon it, on the other hand, I think that Israel has set rules which are not reasonable because they, in fact, discriminate against Jews, but they are practical, and that the absence of Jews, if we don't go at all, uh, I think does abandon the site. And and this whole rewriting of history that all of a sudden the Temple Mount is such a sacred place, the Muslims Muslims turned their back on, on Jerusalem. You know, there is Mecca, there's Medina, this is, comes in third or maybe even lower in, in the hierarchy of holy places and for Jews. It is the but we need, holy. but we need to demonstrate that. 
Whether it means physically walking up there or not, we need to demonstrate that. That's why it's frustrating sometimes when rabbinic and political leaders, and I know they are greater men than I am, are telling people to avoid it instead of trying to think of an accommodation where we can achieve this political goal uh, and this important, uh, you know, open statement, public statement, while at the same time adhering to the rules that are in place that Israel and Jordan have agreed to. It's a legitimate issue, question. Uh, obviously, security and, uh, and and safety is the number one concern, but there's a, a history to this, and we've had our the position eroded over time because of the constant concessions, rather than an accord that if that's done, been done in '67 when it could have been done. Oh yeah, well, and, yeah. Let's not go back there. When's the next time you're meeting with the chief rabbis? You do see them occasionally in Israel, right? I'll so Israel next week. An, an important thing. I, I'm not saying I'm not demanding you tell him, you know, one way or the other, but certainly an important topic to bring up in light of his statement. Well, I think it's more than than the chief rabbis. I don't think it's a religious issue. Right. I think it was said more politically this it time. It has to be. It's the high. It's the political echelons and others who have to assure the continued access at the right time, and the you know the the presence of security. In Jerusalem, and the proper amount and the preventative measures, because once you have to react, you're going to, as and people already talk about a third intifada, using all sorts of new terminology uh, and adjectives to it. But yeah. even that talk is dangerous. By the way, uh, I, I don't know if it's true with social media. You never know what's true, but apparently there is a report that Facebook took down Rabbi Yehuda Glick's Facebook page. Uh, this is a man whose whose interest was only bridging uh, the gaps between Israelis and Arabs. That's number one, and of course, you know, the Temple Mount being a very important cause for him. But but you know, peaceful people who would never dream of harming somebody else are painted as these crazy radicals. I knew the Glick family before they went on Aliyah. Uh, Doctor Glick, the father of uh, uh, Rabbi Glick, uh, was a doctor who saved countless lives and served the people of Israel, Jews and Arabs alike. He, this young man, by no definition was he a radical. He was an activist. Uh, NPR right away the first day called him an extremist. They don't call the murderers of ISIS extremists, but they called him an extremist. And and in fact, he is anything but an extremist. He was devoted and committed to the idea that Jews should have access, but together with Muslims. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just, it's very unfortunate because this this feeds into, and I'm saying you have to see it in the larger context of the goals that that Abbas has set uh, for uh, the coming weeks and months in terms of advancing the, the cause, his cause, without negotiations with Israel, but through. In, uh, implementation of Security Council resolutions and other steps. Oh, unbelievable. By the way, on the Zivotofsky case, which a few people brought up to me, because obviously now more, even more high profile as we think the Supreme Court's going to rule. Very simply, they want the passport to say Jerusalem, Israel, right? That, that, that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line. That's they want the it to say line. Jerusalem, Israel, and now the Supreme Court, and it looks like they're going to rule against it, or is it really hard to speculate when it comes to this stuff? court seems to be split, and we, we saw some comments uh, from Judge Sotomayor, which were really pretty offensive, um, uh, telling the, the the lawyer for the Zivotomskys, uh, Mrs. Lewin, that uh, she was lying or saying it's a lie, that the government doesn't recognize it. I'm not sure they understand uh, exactly what the case entails, 
it's it's not a question of determining the geography. The geography was determined. Right. It's a question of determining whether this impinges on presidential prerogatives and foreign policy, which is what the, the government is arguing, and that and the Bush administration argued as well, um, and that putting Jerusalem there. Now, what about West Jerusalem? Everybody recognizes that, and uh, as as Israel, and why why people born there can't be declared as residents of Jerusalem, Israel. It is as if Jerusalem is floating out there without any attachment to a, to a state to an entity, and the uh, so that is the principle I think for the Zivotofskys and others uh, that's involved in this. The court has a different legal issue to deal with, and we saw that the comments already made indicate that a real split within amongst the members of the court. All right, it's a shame that the Bush administration didn't act uh, more strongly on this issue. Right, they could have had a greater influence at that time. Yeah. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmdm.org. 24 hours of Kalbach starts tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time on our stream at jmdm.org. Make sure to be tuned in and enjoy it all the way through uh, a Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You know, we talk about the unity of the Jewish people. You've spoken a lot about it over the last few weeks, uh, especially in light of the unity that we saw um, at the time of the kidnappings, uh, the uh, unity that we saw during the war this summer. Uh, you gave us a, uh, uh, a talk about all this around the time of the high holidays, that please God it should continue through the new year. Now we, now we see the controversy over the conversion law and uh, the different um, uh, votes and rulings that have taken place over the last few days and Malcolm I start to worry about uh, the possibility of a fracture in the in the, an additional fracture in the Jewish people and the people of Israel um, as is it as is this conversion law subject as potentially um, fracturing as I'm worried about well it can it certainly cause division and there are people who feel very strongly on both sides of this issue, for halachic and non-halachic reasons, for unity reasons, for uh, those who, who uh, for, uh, from different streams who have different approaches to it. But I think that the, the issue goes far beyond it, and that the what we have seen in terms of some of the statements and the criticisms uh, emerging again from uh, elements in the Israeli society, without thinking of the consequences of the time when we see the delegitimization movement, when you see the uh, efforts to, to counter Israel, to deny Israel fundamental rights, uh, that they feed that. It's not one thing that you can be critical of a policy. You can debate a policy. You can agree or disagree with Netanyahu over policies, but it goes far beyond it. And when you have generals and others, you know, uh, more than second-guessing and, and expressing kind of public criticisms, this is very troubling. So it's not just in the religious world. It's in the political and military world as well. It, it, it comes as a question of the atmosphere. And, and for so long we enjoyed, during this war, unique support. And I will tell you that when the, the comments came out about the, the prime minister in the Atlantic article, there was unity in Israel about it. And, and in Everyone the took offense to it. statements we see left and right criticizing so I don't think the unity is completely gone. I think people recognize that this is a serious time. Yeah, and the Netanyahu comments, I think everyone took it personally. That's true. It, it, yes, exactly. And and people rallied to Netanyahu. I mean, he was, people right. tell me he was smiling, you know, because... 
I know, but it must drive you nuts when 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 halachic giants who you know are openly by name condemning other halachic giants who you know. It, it just it's got to drive you crazy. It has long roots in Jewish history. I understand that, but they condemn certain rabbis, and you know you know them personally and know that that they and, and know what, what even if it weren't such a serious time, that kind of public rhetoric, people have to they have to go back and study Shemir Salash and then, you know those who, who lecture others about it, but don't practice it and and don't think about the consequences, and even if their motivation. Is not a negative one, and and they believe that they're asserting, you know, for the right reasons. But they got to think of the consequences in in, in all of this. And you know, he, he, the American people, it's part of the reaction to this election. I think a lot of people have to think about their rhetoric, what they said, how they said it, what the American people seem to want uh, from from our elected officials, and I think people in Israel want, and especially for young people. And if you use the kind of language that some people have used, and not in the halachic issues, which I don't deal with, but with the political issues, then these things become fodder for the anti-Israel campaign. All they do is start quoting Israelis saying the things that they really want to say and using it out of context and in a very different setting on our campuses and in the media and in other places. Oh, no question about it. Lee Zeldin, by the way, was scheduled to join us this morning but had to postpone at the last minute. I assume we'll speak to him next week. He'll be the only Jewish Republican in the entire United States Congress. So that's one change. There, there's again a Jewish Republican, this time from New York. How ironic. And uh, in general, uh, what do you say about the midterm elections? Uh, simply those who are passionate enough to come out and vote came out and voted? Is that how you look at it in the end? Uh, Everyone else basically... I can say is that it's over. <laughs> and when you think of the, I would say, billions of dollars that were probably spent, or certainly hundreds of millions of dollars that were spent, you had $100 million races in, in, in Senate races in, in some places. That I mean, it's mind-boggling about the amount of money and the the uh, in, in multiple places and in, in the aggregate it's uh, somewhat astounding how much money was spent second um, I, I think that the you know Zeldin's uh, presence of course maintains with with Eric Cantor leaving having or having left uh, there wasn't any Jewish members and now you yeah. have one again <laughs> but overall you know we had as many as 30 31 Maybe even 33 members, Jewish members in the House today. I think it's less; it's about 15. And in the Senate, it was up to 11, and I think now it's four or five. How do you explain it? Well, I don't think they were defeated because they were Jews. I don't <laughs> think they were elected because they were Jews. I think Jews are still electable all over the country. You know, it is rotational, and there are demographic changes that take place, and the, in, in urban areas, especially where Jews were prevalent, and and. Um, Maybe they've come to the realization that politics is just not the job for a nice Jewish boy or girl. <laughs> no, I think I, I hope that is not the conclusion. I think that uh, I hope that Jews continue to run. I hope people, good people, run. Uh, it, it doesn't matter to me uh, as much about what the person's ethnicity, religion, anything else is, as much as how they view the world, how what kind of commitment they make. Will they be honest and determined? Will they stand up and to truth to power? And we see that, that that is the case. We had this week uh, Bob Menendez speak to our task force in Iran, which is chaired by uh, former Senator Joe Lieberman. And when you see somebody like that who stands up, he tells the truth, he's intelligent, he has a clear picture, he understands what's at stake. 
you know, it gives you a confidence in, in elected officials. And I think that there's more quality there than people yeah. tend to, to realize. We had Danny Ayalon on on Wednesday post the election getting his analysis. He had a lot of high praise for a lot of the members of the United States, especially the Senate. In fact, he, uh, he, he very high on Mitch McConnell, thinks he's a great, uh, a great leader. And I didn't realize how ambassadors and high profile senators and congressmen really form very close relationships during their tenure in Washington. They do. They, well, and, and, you know, many of them visit Israel. Many of them have relationships. Many of them are very committed to Israel right. and to the U.S. Israel relationship and to, to, recognizing the importance of Israel to the United States, the two-way relationship. You see it now in the concerns that they're expressing regarding the Iran policy. It's not because uh, of Israel, it's because of seeing America's interests and Israel's interests coincide. And they're concerned, of course, about the threats to our allies, whether it's Saudi Arabia, the Gulf, etc., and Israel. Um, So there is a a, a tremendous um, spring of support Amongst the American people for Israel, it, it, it is tested constantly, but it's, it's there, and we see the support expressed in many ways. This election did not deal with foreign policy, but I do think that in the next two years you will see much more of an emphasis on foreign policy, because that, that, and people are concerned about their security, they're concerned about ISIS, they're concerned about uh, other, the, the trend of America's and America's position in the world, and they look at all this panoply of issues that we discussed. Well, you know what's going to determine that, frankly? The, the, the more terrorism shows up in our backyards, the, the more people are going to be concerned about foreign policy. And the closer it comes, yeah. or, God forbid, the actual incidents. Exactly. Absolutely. And if they happen in Europe and people say it's happening there, it's going to happen The here. price it's we're going happening to... here. Right. So it's not hypothetical. I don't know why, but they're what they're waiting for to recognize the number of incidents that have, are taking place in the United States. Yeah. And the... Uh, you know, especially the concerned heightened because of the foreign fighters who are coming back from Syria to Canada, the United States, to, to other places who will be able to visit the United States then because they carry foreign passports. They come from European countries. It's a, it's a whole different quality problem, and tracking them is difficult, and, and, and knowing where they were or who, who everyone is. It's going to be very hard. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out the uh, the, the um, officials thing here with the Mavi Marmara. Is, is it now over the uh, International Criminal Court investigation? They turned down uh, uh, taking up the case and said that the uh, and Mavi Marmara, for those who remember, was the Turkish sponsored ship IHH that went to uh, try to to break Israel's blockade. It was confrontation that was in May of uh, 2010, and they say the allegations are not of sufficient gravity to warrant them investigating it. So is Israel now off the hook or not? Yes. That's it? It's over? For this, yes. With the International Criminal Court, I think it's done. Uh, What did this tell you about the president, his reaction to the midterm election? He's had a very interesting couple of days, Wednesday and Thursday. Today also, with the leadership meeting in Washington, should be interesting. Uh, You know, we, and I I said this to uh, Denny Ayalon on the air, we, we would have loved for the president and anybody really, excuse me, high up in the White House, to come out with a statement just as a symbolic gesture of how outrageous that comment was about the Prime Minister of Israel, whether it was true or not. Just, you know, we wanted to see some passion on this issue, and of course, that never developed. When you see the President's attitude, it's still, he, he still seems that he's reluctant 
to give in to the other side. Is, does this tell us more about how he's been dealing with Israel as well? There's a, a certain stubbornness, a certain uh, desire not to give in, even on the symbolic level when it comes to dealing with the prime minister? Well, I think it's uh, hard while the president's in office to psychoanalyze and to know exactly what direction. And remember, it's also influenced by people around him, although, again, in this White House, it's primarily circled, uh, centered around the president. Um, that uh, I, I agree with you that uh, I would have liked to have seen some action on their part against the person responsible. Or even a strong statement. Pardon me? Even a strong statement, even if you're not firing Harry anybody. Harry did issue a very strong statement, uh, and it, it was over a weekend, so it didn't get much pickup, but he, he, he called it unacceptable, disgraceful, et cetera, et cetera. He called the prime minister. He spoke to him for an hour uh, about this initially, and then, of course, about other issues. Uh, some people say that he would reacted so strongly because the White House was implying to members of the Congress who were complaining about the statement that, in fact, came from a State Department official. The appearance, I think, is that it's that the assumption is that it's actually from a White House official, and who it is is, is one of the issues of speculation in Washington. Right. You know, they probably have a, a lottery about it about who's the uh, <laughs> person involved. I don't know if we'll ever know. That, that means they'll decide who takes the fall. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. But but here's the critical issue to me: it's not just the insult to the prime minister and to a close ally, and to use a term like that. There's been too much sniping on both sides, and but when Yalom was caught not in a public statement, not in an on-the-record statement, but in a private comment, he apologized right away for it. That's right. And, and they're demanding more of an apology, and you saw that the stories that he was denied uh, certain visits. Mm-hmm. But to me, the critical thing is how do the countries in the region read it? Yep. You can't think just how does the, uh, you know, the subscribers to Atlantic... Um, look at that statement and they chuckle and they laugh and they make whatever assumptions they want. But think, how do the Arab leaders, how does Iran read it? How does, how do the, how does ISIS and the enemy, Hezbollah, Hamas, do they see it as a, as a real wedge between the United States and Israel and, and a real division that they will exploit? And that has been the history all along and what we've tried to tell the president all along, and that is that when there are differences, you deal with them quietly to have this kind of childish exchanges and to have uh, the kind of characterization that was in that article, and the term, I don't even know how it applies or what it means in this case, but the, the, uh, you know, the countries in the region look at those things, and they say, look, if Israel can't rely on, on its relationship with the United States, what chance do we have? Well, and others will say, now's the time. Now we can start putting the pressure, and, and if I were a boss, I would exploit it too and say, look, I can pressure because the president of the White House, whatever, they don't like Netanyahu. Now's the time for me to exploit it. It's not going to be true. The relationship in many regards, and certainly on the military and security level, and, and you saw Secretary Hagel's uh, statements on this, but more and his embrace of Yalom when he came. But when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, yesterday said, talked about the extraordinary lengths that Israel went to, to prevent civilian casualties. And you see others from the military speaking up in support of, of Israel and the U.S. Israel relationship and mutuality of, of that. The president always makes reference to that and the intelligence cooperation and other areas where cooperation is ongoing. But if you poison the atmosphere, if you allow on, on any side people to, to break the public perception of the commonality of interest when we face such vital life and death threats, 
I think it's uh, people have to be held to account, and that's why it's taken so seriously. And in other cases, might have been dismissed and laughed off. Yeah, well said. Um, for the people think about traveling to Israel, and uh, we already heard warnings from different folks in uh, in Israel about attitudes from American Jews because of these couple of attacks over the last couple of weeks. Can can Jerusalem's officials, in fact, bring security back to Yerushalayim the way it should be? Uh, this these the the potential for danger with this light rail, which was an issue before it was built, you may remember that it was an issue before it was built, uh, now to some degree has come to reality. How are they going to deal with it? Um, well, first of all, I think most people know from the past that you can be in Yerushalayim and not know any of this is going is taking place. And my grandson, who's learning in Israel, told me that he walked to the hotel. Uh, during the week, he had no problem, and that uh, people are continuing to go. There are isolated times when you've had these incidents, and I know that, uh, and that sometimes the tear gas that might be fired wafts over. But the, but by and large, people life goes on as normal in Yerushalayim and everywhere else, and people should not hesitate to visit. You can be careful where you go, perhaps if you don't want to take the light railroad, fine. But the, you know, that, that is a small percentage of Israel and a small percentage of Yerushalayim. Finally, uh, if my calendar is correct, it's two weeks from Monday, the deadline with Iran, right? 24th? Absolutely. Um, the midterm elections will, will affect, and this little bit of a shift and the attitude of the president that we just discussed a moment ago, will affect what's going to happen on the 24th in terms of reaction uh, to the report, what's the what do you what position today will, is the United States in and is President Obama in to deal with this different than before the midterm elections? Anything different? Well, the revelation that uh, he had this correspondence with uh, Khamenei and it's proven true, and I think it's likely to be so because they don't deny that it was he, he, that it was about cooperation against ISIS, and there have been uh, reports, people claiming that there's been other uh, backdoor channels, direct, indirect. Uh, if you remember, a couple weeks ago there was a big contretemps because the Iranians kept saying that the Americans approached them, Biden approached them, President, other emissaries, and they kept saying no, they would not cooperate. And the United States said we don't want their cooperation in Iraq. Now we see again these uh, supposed uh, approaches to to get their cooperation against ISIS. We have to remember what we're doing is inviting Iraq, Iran, who, who this week declared that they now are controlling four Arab capitals, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Yemen. You see how they are trying to encircle the Arab, uh, Arab Middle East, how they are assertive. So beyond the nuclear program, and, and I want people to know because we're coming to a critical stage now and they should be in touch with their elected officials about this because the debate, the discussion went from having no centrifuges, from dismantling their nuclear program to saying now it's about the breakout period, how long from the time we detected to the time they have a bomb. To see that they started talking about no centrifuges, then 150, 500, thing, and now we're talking about 6,000 uh, centrifuges, according to reports. We see the, the, the erosion again of the standards that were set, and what do you think the reaction will be? You will see Saudi Arabia and other countries will go for were the uh, weapons. And the 6,000 figure came from a website, an Iranian website, that is tied to the... Uh, to, to the foreign ministry, and the question is whether he actually presented a framework uh, agreement. Whether uh, I mean, there are a lot of questions 
that keep coming up. The president said again yesterday, no deal is better than a bad deal. The question is, how do you define a bad deal? And if we see the senses, and I've heard this from members of Congress and others, that the, the, the erosion of the standards uh, that were, were set as absolute red lines about what we would, would accept, they can, and now the president said they can't have the capacity to develop. Now, one is that they moved ahead on the missile program all along. Two is that they moved ahead on weaponization because it's not covered by the agreement. Then you have enrichment, and they continue to enrich, and they continue to develop better centrifuges, all of which mitigates against the, you know, the, the standards that we've used in the past because they, they don't need as much enriched uranium because they can enrich it much faster. And about the hidden facilities, about the fact that even in the last week, inspectors were not given access um, uh, to the site. So one, got to think about what's happening in the country. Two, how do the others? Well, if you're Egypt and you look at this uh, situation, you know that Iran is meddling in the Sinai and that the, and is, as is ISIS, and they just broke a cell uh, that, that was made up of ISIS members who were carrying out uh, the attacks, and they're moving two more brigades into, uh, with Israel's permission, to, um, uh, two battalions, rather, uh, and a fleet of helicopters to, to continue to fight uh, these terrorists who are supported by um, by, uh, by uh, Iran, and they found hundreds of new tunnels between Gaza and Sinai, which they are moving to to close, and they're building this uh, uh, the buffer zone. Iran is continuing all of this time to be the leading state sponsor of terrorism. They stonewall the inspectors. They stonewall the United Nations. Amano said we have almost at the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency. There's almost no progress. In, find, in, in the reconnaissance and the information that they're supposed to be getting and the, about the allegations of weapons development. And, and the world is now looking at the potential at a time when we have them over a barrel because of the drop of oil. They need $105 a barrel oil. That's what they put in their budget. When it's now below 80, that's a time you have absolute maximum leverage to, to, deal, with the, to deal with Iran, and we should be putting down markers for more demands, not less demands, and that the, the coming out of this with an extension that gives them, an, and the debate has now come, whether it's relief from sanctions, meaning a, a temporary gesture, or suspension. They're saying suspension, we have to go to Congress. Relief, we don't have to. But for the Iranians, it's the same. Whether you suspend it or yeah. whether you, you end no them or you relieve them from it, they will get the benefit, yeah. no matter what. They're buying time, and either way they'll get that time. And they get it, and they can move on. And, and, and you're seeing their continued involvement, whether it's uh, in, in, in Iran, in Syria, and we've seen defeats for Hezbollah. We see, uh, by the way, defeats for al-Nusra, and even and for the rebel groups. We see, you know, everything is changing every day, and regrettably we don't have time to, to go into it, because it's, uh, it's very very interesting, and complicated situation about what's happening there, what's happening in Lebanon, where Hezbollah had to set up a security zone to protect the, the Shiite population in their areas. Um, and, and at the same time, we see al-Nusra and other groups breaking through the, the border of, the, of, of Lebanon as well. So another country whose borders uh, are disappearing. But Iran is the number one issue. And Iran has to be focused, and we have to demand that our elected officials stand up like uh, Menendez and demand action, demand that they, they have ready uh, bills to move immediately uh, on midnight uh, of September 24th or whether yeah, it's the 25th, uh, 1 a.m. on the 25th. November. 
of November to, to act against uh, if, if Iran continues to stall. That postponement is not confronting it, and, and buying time only gives them more time to continue all of their nefarious activities and to, to uh, consolidate the nuclear program. And you see Russia now trying to say, well, they'll, uh, they'll, re- they'll enrich it, because they benefit from it. They get paid for all of that. And if we erode those positions in China and Russia and others, moving in and, and uh, violating the sanctions, any kind, of, anything short of a total position of strength it will only lead to Iran becoming a nuclear power. And what all of the mischief it's doing, think of it having that capacity that to declare the intimidation will be the same whether they have the weapon or not. Yeah, well, when was the last time we saw Washington with a total position of strength on this issue? That's what's scary. And, and it's, a, it's something that developed over a long period of time, and it's not something that just came under this administration, but we're now at the critical moment. And I will tell you, in Europe, they, they, they're concerned. They're saying that the America doesn't have, is not, they're afraid that America's going to, you know, uh, allow these exemptions, and then the Americans were Russian, so they're saying we're not going to be left behind, so their businessmen are there already negotiating for if the time will come. I, I want to say something else. You know, I talked many times about, you know, why we look back to look forward and why our history. Look at what they're doing across the Middle East today to Jewish holy sites, to Christian holy sites. The, the, what we talked about, the Temple Mount and the, and the denial by Abbas, of our connection to it, saying we have no history there. They, they blew up the tomb of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, in Mosul. They, they blew up the Jobar synagogue where Elian Nabi Elijah was supposedly visited. We see that the tomb of Ezekiel was destroyed, and it was, it was made into a mosque, and the, and the inscriptions, very ancient Jewish inscriptions, destroyed. We see cemeteries across the region, Jewish cemeteries, being desecrated. We see Christian holy sites being uh, demolished. And the world doesn't say anything. We have no comments. We have nothing to say when you see the true nature and the barbarism and the goal to establish an Islamic State. And look at what Iran has achieved. That's why the four capitals are so important, because they have slowly and carefully manipulated themselves into this position. So they're advancing their goal of of a caliphate and their definition of the caliphate as opposed to the Muslim Brotherhood one, and as opposed to ISIS, which also declared a caliphate and moves ahead towards that end. And we didn't even bring up how many people were executed in the effort to... 852 people executed in Iran. Nobody says anything. That's one year, and that's the ones they admit to. Unbelievable. We're not talking about all the others who were killed there, the torture, the behavior against the minorities there. When, when ISIS does it, and... There isn't enough revulsion in the world to what ISIS is doing, the beheadings, the, which is now becoming more and more commonplace across the region. All right, Malcolm, we got to go. Yeah, but one more thing. That is a mazel tov to Javi um, and Meyer Dworkin on the birth of Esther Dworkin. Mazel tov. The newest grandchild. Mazel tov to everybody, the entire family. Future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update.
here at JM in the AM. 8.30 in the morning, way behind schedule for Rabbi Yudin. My apologies. This time each and every Friday morning, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pasha's Vayera. Pasha's Vayera is such an exciting Parsha. We deal with the incredible chesed of Avram Avinu. Parsha begins, as we are taught, Shlishi Lemilaso. It's on the third day of Avraham's circumcision. And Avraham, who Hashem wanted him to rest, therefore he made the day especially hot, that people would not be traveling, and therefore Avram would have an opportunity to rest, the fact that he cannot extend kindness and hospitality to people bothers him more. So Hashem therefore causes to bring three men, angels, who are disguised as men, to enable Avram to extend this hospitality. You have immediately thereafter the stark contrast between the hospitality of Avram and the exact opposite of the society of Sodom and a society that functions with a sign. And I'm not even sure it says welcome to Sodom. No chesed allowed, such a society could not be allowed to continue and exist. And so we have the destruction of Sodom. Continuing in the parsha, we have the birth of Yitzchak as was given in a prophecy to Avraham and Sarah at the beginning of the parsha, and you have the first kind of Akedah, whereby Avraham has to send away Ishmael, Avraham the man who reaches out and touches as many as he can, has to send away his own, and finally the Akedah, an incredibly rich parsha. I'd like to focus on the opening three words of the parsha. Vayira elav Hashem. The parsha begins with God appearing to him. Now, it doesn't say for what purpose. So the rabbis basically say the fact that the Torah uses the pronoun to him, as opposed to Avraham, leads us to believe, says Rashi, that we are referring to that which precedes this chapter. Namely, last week we concluded Lech Lecha with Avram performing the bris mila, and therefore God comes to visit Avram levaker esachola, literally to visit the sick. And indeed, the Gemara in Sota. Yudalid Amar Aleph 14a tells us how are we to understand the Pasuk in Devarim 
in Parshas Re'eh, Perik 13, Pusuk 5, where the Pusuk says, Acharei Hashem Elokeichem Teilechu, you shall literally walk or follow the ways of God. Asks the Gemara, is it possible for a human being to follow the divine? After all, it says regarding Hashem that he is Eish Ochlahu, literally a consuming fire. So the Talmud in Sota understands it to mean that we are to follow God's attributes and therefore emulate him. Mahum abish arumim, as God clothes the naked, so are we. How do we know that God clothes the naked? The Gemara cites the verse from the beginning of Bereshis that God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. So as he, so too we. Hakadosh Baruch Hu, cholim, as God visits the sick, as it's written in the beginning of this week's parasha, Vayira Elav Hashem, Beilonei Mamre, Hashem appeared to Avram in the plains of Mamre, Afata, so too are we, the Jewish people, should visit the sick, because we emulate God's ways. So Rashi, inciting this understanding of the opening three words, it's as if the Torah says explicitly, that God visited him or appeared to him. Why? For visiting the sick. The Ramban Nachmanides understands the verse a little differently. And the Ramban says that Vayera Elov Hashem. Hashem appears to Avram not for the purpose of visiting the sick, because he maintains that God is present literally at the bed of the sick constantly. And he learns it out from a different source. And therefore, he says, what is going on here? Why does Hashem appear to Avram? He appears to Avram in a kind of congratulatory fashion, namely, just as we find the same expression of Vayera, of Vayera Kvod Hashem, El Kol Ha'am, in chapter 9 in Vayikra, in Parsha Shmini, where the Torah describes that after the Jewish people were privileged to construct a sanctuary in the desert, God appears to the Jewish people in a form of a recognition, and as the Ramban writes on this week's parasha, that that revelation by the Mishkan, as well as over here, it's not for the purpose of giving any kind of command, or even to communicate at all, Ella Gemul HaMitzvah Hanaseh Kvar. It is God's way of extending a Yashakoach, or appreciation for the mitzvah that in that case there the Jewish people had constructed the sanctuary here Avram complied with God Ulaudia and to inform them here Avram that God is pleased with his action. In other words, the way the Ramban is explaining it, this is a kind 
of religious high that Abraham is now upon. He's attained this high because of the realization that he's done not only a command of God, but he has pleased God. And pleasing God is something which very much excites Abraham, elevates Abraham. And now the interesting thing to see is as follows. What does Abraham do with this spiritual high that he's now on. So the flow of the psukim is beautiful. Verse 2, Avram literally lifts up his eyes and he sees three anoshim, three men, as we know, passing by, and he runs to them, and what does he do? He takes this spiritual high, and rather than withdraw and go to a mountaintop, or go into a room, and put on the music, and meditate, and put on the incense, and basically withdraw and gloat over the happiness and state that he is in, Avram teaches that when we experience a religious high, we are to take it and extend it to others, share it by doing chesed, by doing kindness with others. Show that your encounter and positive experience with God leads you to partner with God. And as He is constantly giving to others, so too we are to give others. And so, interestingly, what do we find in Parshas Vayishlach? When Yaakov has his encounter with Esav. And he's so troubled, as the Torah tells us. And finally, he gets out of the clutches of his brother. And in chapter 33, the Torah says in verse 16, Esav Esav went on his way towards Seir. And in verse 17, Yaakov travels to Sukkos. So immediately now, he's coming into the land of Israel. He comes to Shem, and in Pesach 18, what are we taught? Vayichan es ir. He encamps about the city. And the Gemara in Shabbos 33b teaches us that Avraham, excuse me, Yaakov instituted Matbeah. He literally busied himself and uplifted the commercial nature of the community. Whether he established shvakos, whether he established literally businesses and opened up businesses there, whether he improved the monetary system, Yaakov, who was on that spiritual high, feeling close to God and appreciative of all that God had done for him, Yaakov takes it and channels it as his grandfather Avram does towards the three, quote, nomads, three individuals who possess a tselem elokim, literally a divine image. Yaakov Avinu similarly goes and enhances, enriches the community of Shechem, taking his spiritual high and extending it to others as well. I believe that this is such a powerful idea. This is the literal enactment of that beautiful teaching of Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, who said that the next person's Gashmias, the next 
person's material and physical needs are my ruchnius, are my spirituality. I am to be concerned for their needs, and to me it's not simply a social aspect of my life, but this is my spiritual life, to be concerned about the welfare of others. Now each and every one of us are privileged from time to time. I wish it that it is every day that we experience spiritual highs. If you do, I am so happy for you. But each of us, very often unexpected, that we have the opportunity to do a mitzvah in a special way, and literally, as the Pasuk tells us in Divrei Hayamim, in Chronicles, Book 2, Chapter 17, Pasuk 6, what does the Pasuk say regarding Yehoshaphat, the very good king, who literally went out of his way for God, cleaned up the mess of the Asherah trees and the idolatries. So Vayigbalibo Bidarke Hashem, his heart was elevated in the ways of Hashem. He had a great sense of pride, pride in being a Jew, pride in serving God. This sense of pride, of Ayigbalibo, Bidarke Hashem, this is a sense of pride that each and every one of us are privileged to have from time to time. When we have it, the Torah is teaching us through Avram Avinu that we should be the students of Avram Avinu and we too should channel it channel it to and on behalf of others that should motivate us to go out of our way to do something good for the next one and there's always something good you can do very often You're saying good morning first. You're going out of your way to greet somebody. Somebody, unfortunately, was having a hard day. And you're going out of your way and giving them that smile, as we find in Yaakov's bracha to Yehuda. The fact that you give a warm smile and greet somebody with a smile, that can literally transform their day. The capacity and the ability and the pride that we have in being Talmidov Shel Avraham Avinu, of being the students of Avraham. And Avraham teaches us that the privilege of having a close relationship with God manifests itself, translates itself, and channels itself in how we extend it to others. I really give a bracha to all that we should be privileged to take this beautiful midah of Avram Avinu and extend it to others. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Shlomo Kalbach, 
Featuring his music this morning here at JM and the AM tomorrow night. Don't forget it all begins at 24 hours of Kalbach on his 20th yard site, 6 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow night on our stream at jmtheam.org. Yes, we are calling it the 24 hours of Kalbach. Goes until 6 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. Listen on the app, the NSN app. Listen on the computer and laptop and all that, of course. And listen by dialing 401-347-0100. 401-347-0100. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayera. Don't forget Maimonides Medical Center has another very important blood drive going on on Sunday at the Avenue J Turo College. Try your hardest to get on over there. They'll be providing uh, free gifts, say vouchers for restaurants, a whole bunch of stuff if you give blood. It's this coming Sunday on Avenue J at Turo College. Maimonides Medical Center continues to be at the forefront in the area of uh, blood collection in our community. Let us make sure that the blood center, especially this time of year, it gets uh, kind of touchy toward the end of this uh, calendar year. Let's make sure they have what they need and to give what we can. So that's this coming Sunday in Brooklyn, New York. Got a uh, got an email earlier in the week I forgot to take care of. Uh, listener Cena hopefully will forgive me. Happy birthday number 10 to Rachel Dina Gifter on Staten Island. Mazel tov to Rachel and Dina. Rachel Dina's Tati and Mommy or by Yaakov and Joshana Gifter and all the siblings. The message is, Rody, we wish we could celebrate your special day in person, but just the thought of your always smiling face puts a huge smile on ours. That comes from Bubby and Zadie, Florida, of course. <laughs> we know them as listeners, Cena and Ira. And I, and that was very nice what they posted on Facebook yesterday. I appreciate it. If you missed my Facebook post regarding the five, uh, important Kalbach selections, uh, check it out. Go to my profile on Facebook. I think you'll enjoy that. Love to see your comments about your favorite Kalbach selections and why they're important. Candle lighting at 425 on this Arab Shabbos Parsha's Vayera as we continue with Rip Shlomo Kalbach at JM in the AM. Star in the sky, sing the song of Shabbos. Stars in the sky, sing the song of Shabbos. There'll be a lot of people singing that tonight. I can tell you that much. Don't forget that Avrami uh, tomorrow night on Saturday Night Siegel will feature the music of Rav Shlomo Kalbach during our 24 hours of Kalbach, as will Matis Sunday morning at 7 a.m. during JM Sunday. We'll feature the great music of Rav Shlomo Kalbach during our 24 hours of Kalbach, which commences tomorrow evening on our stream at jmandtheam.org. Naomi Nachman coming up next on our stream at jmnam.org. The video is already up at nachomsegel.com. You can see it on the homepage. She has some amazing and incredible male chefs joining her this morning between 9 and 10 before we get to our Erev Shabbos music mix. Keep it at jmnam.org. 
all day long. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Say good Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmandtheam.org. 
And right there at jmtheam.org is where Naomi Nachman is going to be hosting Table for Two next. You can also catch the video, the actual show on video, if you go to nachomsegel.com. It is there on the home page. Uh, don't forget, 24 Hours of Kalbach starts tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmtheam.org. We're back here on Monday morning. Make sure to join us, of course. Enjoy all the Kalbach uh, weekend activities and to be inspired by his uh, amazing contribution to the world of Jewish music. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Monday we're back starting at 6 a.m. Till then, Alchem Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.